0: Hi! Hey! Welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical, non-denominational convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when I was working for a pastor at an evangelical church, and he called me into his office and asked me, what's more important, the Bible, the Bible, or tradition. As an evangelical in my early twenties, I thought the answer was easy. But as I began digging into the formation of the Bible, into the history of Christianity, into how the scriptures were written and collected and preserved, I bumped into this thing called the Catholic Church. It's inevitable in a study of the history of Christianity, and there it was, looming large. As I began to read from ancient Catholic documents, from real Catholic primary sources, it was then that I began to realize that what I thought I knew, Catholics believed, was often, almost always, entirely wrong. It was based in part on misinformation and more often than not on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast exists to fill in that gap. The gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. We have real Catholic conversations with real Catholic thinkers from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this episode is going to be a fantastic one. A real treat. A real interesting discussion, I think. I'm joined by not one, but two guests. Nick Jaboni the Executive Director of the National Center for Padre Pio, and the Vice President of the Center, Vera Calandria. Vera is the daughter of the late founders of the Center, Harry and Vera Calandria, and she is the recipient, as you'll hear in this interview, of a miracle. A miracle on the part of the saint who is the subject of this discussion. I'm talking about Padre Pio. My goal with this episode, especially for those who haven't heard of Padre Pio or may not be familiar with many of these fantastic saints of the church, is to expose you, to teach you about one of my favorite saints, Padre Pio. His story, his Life experiences and those things that have happened both during his life and following his life are nothing short of miraculous. That's why he's a saint. It's a fantastic, really interesting, in-depth discussion. I think you'll love it. And hopefully you'll learn something new. This podcast is sponsored by my patrons at patreon.com slash cordial catholic. Even $1 or $2 a month goes a long way to helping me to keep this thing going, to support the mission of evangelization, which underpins this whole podcast. You can also give a one-time donation at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic, and thank you. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your financial support. Without any further ado, here's my wonderful, insightful, interesting interview with Nick and Vera on the subject of Padre Pio. Please listen and enjoy. Hello friends and welcome back to The Cordial Catholic. Today's discussion is going to be an absolutely fantastic one. You're going to love this. You're going to not want to miss this as well. I'm joined by not one, but two guests from the National Center for Padre Pio in Bardo, Pennsylvania, in the USA. I'm joined, first of all, by Nick DiBoni, who is the executive director of the center, as well as Vera Marie Calandra, who is the vice president and one of the daughters of the founders of the Center, the late Harry and Vera Calandra. Welcome to the both of you. I am very excited for tonight's discussion. Thank you for being here, and hello.
1: Good evening, Keith. Thanks for having us.
0: Well, thank you for being here. So, this discussion, uh, for our listeners, is not going to dig into why Catholics pray to the saints or what the community of the saints is in great detail. Uh, We covered that in an episode with John Mark Grody from the Coming Home Network uh, back in the archives, so I'd encourage listeners who want an overview of this strange thing of the saints that Catholics do, check out that episode. This is going to be an introduction of sorts, uh, not to the saints in general, but to a particular saint. And I gotta say, he is probably among my my favorite, if not my favorite saint. And again, for maybe non-Catholic listeners, the idea of having a favorite saint might be strange. But as you'll hear in this interview, we can in a real sense have a relationship with certain saints as Catholics and come to know them uh in a deep and real way. And I'll tell you a quick story before we get started, and this involves uh your center and, and you Nick, because Early on when I was working on this podcast, uh, I, I you know, you go through seasons in, in producing content like this, and I was feeling a little bit low, like maybe this podcast uh, wasn't what God intended for me to do. I felt a calling towards it, but then I started second-guessing myself, and I was feeling very, very discouraged, and I said a little prayer, and I asked Padre Pio to pray for me, and the prayer went something like, you know, Padre Pio, pray for me that the lord would give me some insight would help me to to know that this podcast endeavor was the right place to go so said that little prayer and went about my day and later that very same afternoon a listener uh named nick emailed me a uh, very encouraging email about the podcast and it turned out that 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 nick well, you were the executive director of the National Center for Padre Pio. <laughs> wow, I didn't
2: know that, key.
0: So, well, I'd like to tell this story because I feel like, you know, hey, I asked Padre Pio to, to, to pray to our Lord to send me some kind of indication that this podcast is on the right track, and hey, he sent me the executive director from his National Center. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I had no idea.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's one of those things, eh? one of those beautiful things that the saints enrich our lives with, and I think that's just a fantastic story. So, guys, let's dig into this. I want to start at the beginning uh, for the novice listener. If we can start by talking about the early life of Padre Pio. I mean, who was this? Who was this guy? I don't think he was born Padre Pio because Padre, of course, means father. <laughs> who was he? Where was he born? Where did he live? Let's let's hear a bit about his early his early biography, if we can, to kind of set the stage for us.
2: Sure. Uh, so Padre Pio was born Francesco Forgione, May twenty fifth, eighteen eighty seven. Uh, he was born to Maria De Nunzio, also known as Beppa. And Grazio Forgione, uh, also known as Gra, so he would call them Beppa and Gra, his mom and dad. Uh, he was born in the little town of Pietrelcina, Italy, which I'll uh, Americanize or Canadianize there as uh, as Pietrelcina, Italy. It's about two hours drive west of the town of San Giovanni Rotondo, which is where uh, the friary was, where he spent uh, 50 years uh, and where his body is still so to give you an idea it's like south central italy if you're looking at the uh if you're looking at the boot of italy and you see the little little spur that is above the heel it's kind of uh in the middle you know right in the right in the center of the map of italy there across from the little spur um, he was named after the second born son of his parents um, They would he was the fourth of eight children their second born son uh, died only 20 days after birth so when he was born uh, they gave him his name and uh, saint francis of assisi of course being his patron saint Uh, they were a farming family they had about they they were better off than most in that area they certainly weren't wealthy but they did have about five acres of farmland which they owned Uh, they worked the land and they had other people his father was known to pick up, um, pick up um, other peasants in the area to work the land every day. Again, they certainly were not were not wealthy. They had about an hour walk from their uh, from their town to the area called Piana Romana, uh, which would which would later figure into uh, some of Padre Pio's spiritual gifts. But. Um, It's about an hour from there, and they had a little summer home there where they would live. Uh, His parents were illiterate, but they desperately wanted their children to become educated. Uh, People that were interviewed during the canonization process for Padre Pio um, from the hometown of Pietrelcina said that the family, the parents, always had a reputation of being especially devout and holy. Uh, His father attended Mass every Sunday with the family, and unfortunately, at the time, that was kind of an unusual thing in the, even among Catholics in the society there, you know, the fathers would usually be kind of outside talking, gossiping, you know, it was unfashionable for them to be, you know, too, quote, religious. But his dad was always uh, very devout, like like his mom. Uh, they were known to stop and pray together every day at the church uh, after the farm work was done. Um, they were known to rise together with the, uh, when the village church bell would go off and they would be seen in church saying their morning prayers together. Uh, so always, I mean, to a man, every, everyone who was interviewed really recognize kind of like the, the sanctity of this family. He was a
0: priest. We, we know this. this is the large part of who he was. Can we talk about how this came about maybe and, and then get into what his priesthood uh, was like?
1: Yes, when Padre Pio was a child, very young child, um, he used to pray very, very fervently and when he was around other children his age that were using bad language and whatnot, um, he actually he took himself out of those situations. He knew that he had a different calling, a different feeling from God. And he used to go up into the local church tower and pray fervently to to our Lord for his calling. And Padre Pio, I think it was at the age of 11 or 15, um, his parents did allow him to go into the monastery, into the friary, to, to go into the priesthood. And Padre Pio started out in a few different monasteries. We call them seminaries in America, but in Italy they're known as monasteries in Europe. And he was in uh, Vinafro, Morcone, different ones like that, and Padre Pio became, he became a priest in 1910, and 10 years after that, he did receive the stigmata.
0: So you mentioned, Nick, before we went on the air, very really fascinating uh, connection to today during, you know, we're, we're in these... This is being recorded. We're in this difficult time of pandemic with the coronavirus, and we're all, of course, remote, different locations. You mentioned that during the uh, early part of his priesthood, uh, Padre P was ministering during the Spanish flu, right?
2: Yes. Uh, so he was ordained in 1910. As I said, he received the stigmata uh, September 20th, 1918, and actually earlier that week, Spanish flu was raging through Europe and uh, and Italy. Town of San Giovanni was uh, was not spared, um, and actually earlier that week, uh, the week that he received a stigmata, he and another friar were administering a moon boosting shots to some boys at the school that they ran in San Giovanni Rotundo. um It was just days later that he actually uh, first received the visible stigmata.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. So you mentioned the the stigmata, Padre P is known. Uh, among other things, some of these miraculous things which surrounded his life. This is probably what he's best known for. Can we talk about some of these miraculous signs and experiences and how they came about and uh, and and what they, um, you know, w- when they kind of began to take place? You mentioned the beginning of the stigmata. Can we unpack what these things were and, and how they kind of began in his life?
2: Sure. So So when we think of miracles, Um, sometimes, you know, I guess what we think of most often is healing. And certainly Padre Pio was given the gift to be able to heal people, but, uh, he had so many, what we might call charismatic, uh, type of gifts, not charismatic in the sense of we might think of the charismatic movement. Um, but there's so many different types of, um, so, so many different types of, I guess we'll just refer to them as spiritual gifts. Things like the stigmata, you hear about bilocation, an aroma of paradise, gifts of languages, frequent visions of Jesus, Mary, guardian angels, reading of souls and hearts, uh, supernatural light that people would see for him when he prays. But, so these things really started uh, very, very early on. There's actually, um, he, he shared with another priest. And I'm, what I'm going to talk about today is only things that are. There's a lot of misinformation about Padre Pio or unsubstantiated things. So, really, I'm going to talk about things that we know from friary records that there are records of and substantiations and, and witnesses. But he had mentioned to other friars that when he was a very young boy, um, fr- from as long as he can remember, he remembered speaking uh, with Jesus, Mary, uh, and our Blessed Mother, his guardian angel, to the point that he would say something to a playmate of his and he thought that they were just trying to be humble by responding to him that, no, they did not see their guardian angel or Jesus or Mary. He really didn't realize until he was older that this was not a common occurrence. Um, And then after he was ordained a priest in 1910 is when he really started to have a lot more uh, of these supernatural experiences happen. For example, what I had alluded to earlier at, um, at the farmhouse in the in the piano Romana, he was so sick. He was not. He didn't have the greatest of health when he was a child. But after he was ordained, he was so frequently ill. He was just going back and forth from and and even right even when he was doing his seminary studies, back and forth between the novitiates, and then he was ordained, and he was constantly. They would send him home. Uh, to Pietrelcina because the idea was that the doctor said, well, maybe the fresh air, maybe his homeland air, his native air, you know, will help him to be home. And this happened for really about eight years before he really ended up going to San Giovanni Rotondo and then staying there for 50 years. But so when you'll hear us at the center talk about the visible stigmata that lasted for 50 years, and that's because eight years prior to that, during one of these trips home, after he was ordained, it was actually less than a, just a little bit less than a month after he was ordained, he was sitting under a tree in the Piana Romana in the in the farmhouse area when he received the stigmata the first time. And he asked our Lord, and he actually had another priest pray with him that the visible that it being he didn't want he wanted to suffer he was willing to suffer from the pain. But he was embarrassed he didn't want the visible signs that other people could could see them so as early as as early as that was september seventh nineteen ten a little bit less than thirty days after his ordination he he received this uh, this stigmata which would become invisible uh for, for the eight years until the visible one
0: well it's really that's really fascinating uh idea i mean right from the i guess that's a pretty uh incredible confirmation of his calling to be a priest when, you know, almost immediately after becoming a priest, he receives uh, these these clear indications that, yes, this is the right way to go in a very miraculous, supernatural way. I want to um, let the listener know, too, because this is a very interesting idea, this suffering. You mentioned how he, he, he embraced this, this suffering. Uh, And I'd encourage listeners, if they're curious, to know more about the idea of suffering, of redemptive suffering especially. I spoke to Don Eden Goldstein about this a couple episodes back. Check out the archives, because this is very much um, one of the charisms, I guess you'd say, of Padre Pio. This idea of taking on suffering, or being willing to suffer, or being uh, open to, to helping others any way he could, I guess. Is that fair to say?
1: Yes, absolutely
2: yeah I mean he offered he offered himself as i said he he asked our Lord to offer himself as a victim soul to the end of the uh of the Spanish flu. He did the same for World War one and Vera I think can speak to this can speak to this more, but he was always willing to offer himself for others and to accept the accept the cross. would you say that true Vera
1: yes, absolutely he did a lot of suffering for everyone even for his fellow friars.
0: Can we unpack a bit about, uh, there's a number of these miraculous uh, spiritual gifts that Padre Pio had during his lifetime, and so often, this is one of the, the things that I just find so fascinating about uh, Padre Pio in particular, is so often uh, saints uh, do miraculous things, or there are prayers to saints, petitions to ask saints to pray for us, receive miraculous answers, and often saints uh, have lived holy lives, but then do miraculous things after they've passed on and are in heaven and, and can intercede for us. But Padre Pio is one of these saints who had so many miraculous things attached to him during his lifetime. And you mentioned the stigmata. Can we unpack for our, uh, our non-Catholic listeners, our new Catholic listeners, what this stigmata exactly is and how it manifested itself uh, in Padre Pio's life?
1: Um, Padre Pio was praying in the choir loft of Our Lady of Grace Chapel when he received the visible stigmata. When he was praying, he went into an ecstasy, and it was like the crucifix, like our Lord came alive on it. And he actually was praying so hard that he he kind of, in a sense, passed out. And when he awoke, his hands and his feet and his side were bleeding. And that's when he received the stigmata, the visible stigmata.
2: Yeah, stigmata stigmata means uh, literally the mark, and so different. Padre Pio is the only priest uh, in history who has borne the stigmata. Uh, saint Francis of Assisi, his patron saint. I used to always think before I got to know Padre Pio that he was a priest, but he was not. He was a he was a friar. He was not ordained, um, and there have been a number of uh, stigmatists in in. In history that you know people have studied and, and verified uh that these must have been a supernatural origin but so far he's been the only priest to bear these you know marks the marks of christ uh, some people a lot of people actually don't realize he not only had the wounds of christ in his in his hands uh and in his feet and in his side uh but he also revealed to pope john paul ii before he was uh before he was pope um in 1947, that he had this uh, this additional wound of the shoulder wound from having carried uh, from having the the crucifix, which uh, perhaps caused him the most pain of all. But he never he
1: never
0: talked about that publicly.
1: He also had the invisible crown of thorns. <laughs> it's so it's such
0: a fascinating thing to think about, and. I, I, very foreign, I would think, for maybe many listeners who are, are encountering the idea of a saint with these miraculous wounds. What did Padre Pio make of these? What did he understand these wounds to be, the purpose of these wounds, I should say?
2: Well, he certainly didn't think that he was worthy to have them. Uh, in fact, he had begged our Lord so many times that he would, uh, that he he would take them. He would say, I will, I will bear this pain. I will bear this suffering. But he was so embarrassed. He didn't want the attention drawn to himself. He certainly did not consider himself anything special in terms of sanctity. In fact, as, as many gifts as he had for being able to read the hearts and souls of his spiritual children and tell them, you know, he could tell them where their, where their soul was before God, so to speak, um, he did not have this gift of insight into his own soul to the point that he would he would sincerely ask his brother, friars, spiritual directors, you know, does. Uh, do I have it? Do I have the ability to be saved? Can I be saved? Do you, you know, do you think I'm in a state of he just had experienced complete blackness? It was like, you know, as, as you might hear Mother Teresa talked about, it was just like he, he did not have that ability to see in himself. He, he, he suffered in that way. Also just a, just a real dryness, a real, uh, a a real darkness.
0: That's so fascinating. You mentioned this other ability had to read souls, uh, amongst his other miraculous things that were attached to his life. Can we unpack what that was a little bit further? Like, what was the idea of he was able to—I've I've heard it, it's told that if someone were to come to him in confession, which for us Catholics is what we believe Christ instituted to uh, to help us receive forgiveness of sins, it's confessing our sins to another person— uh, you know so when he was when he was a confessor when he was in confession someone would come to him i've heard it said that he almost knew what they'd say before they said anything uh can you unpack that a bit, bit more for us sure there's a little bit of a
2: of a misconception in that he did not have this ability he he wasn't able at least he said it wasn't everyone so um uh, it wasn't like he could just look around and see everybody but he especially with his spiritual children he was given the ability to uh to read their heart so to speak and there's certainly documented cases uh one of the most famous was a man named Abram Abresh, who uh was a photographer in San Giovanni Vatondo from from Germany uh was a convert to the faith So there's there's people like him. There's other people who said that, wow, I, you know, Padre Pio was able to tell me, like, oops, uh, are you sure that's everything? What about this? What about such and such? Um, He would also could tell if somebody was just testing him. They just wanted to come to hear, you know, the the famous friar and try to stump him or they they were just curiosity seekers. You know, he often was able if someone was sincere, you know, uh, and they forgot something, he was known to remind them.
1: I would say the people that came to discredit him, obviously, would be the non-believers and also non-Catholics, just out of curiosity. Mm -hmm. And in that way, Padre Pio actually had converts after they spoke with Padre Pio. They would go back and think about what he said and then go back and see him again. And actually, someone that we just met last year, Nick, Um, Neri, through Padre Pio, his wife's connection to Padre Pio, Um, it's actually his father-in-law was one of those that tried to, he was in the Italian government, and he was a communist. And he went to Padre Pio and kind of, like I said, tried to discredit him, and he ended up falling in love with Padre Pio, and became a, a very good supporter and friend to Padre Pio, and a convert. So there's, it wasn't just in the confessional, but it was just seekers that wanted to to hurt him, to discredit him, and many even in Holy Mother Church did that as well. But Padre Pio, God allowed him to see through that and to know what people were really coming for.
0: Well, it's really fascinating that you that you say that those, I mean, because somebody could could look at the life of Padre Pio and wonder what these what the purpose was of these different things he was given, like you know what 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 God intended him to do with these things. But when you say something like, and there's certainly lots of answers, and it's quite obvious in certain aspects why he could do these certain things. The suffering is an important idea, and this ability to to read souls is obviously a grace given to him to help these people to make a good confession and to to, to be reconciled with God. But then this interesting angle, Vera, that you mentioned, the the idea that some of these people who came to discredit these miraculous things actually ended up converting. Yes. For me, as I'm an an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and reading about the life of somebody like Padre Pio, I can tell you 100% for sure, was something that was so enticing and interesting about the Catholic Church. I'm thinking, okay, if these if if God gives these people in the Catholic Church, these these priests these abilities to do these things. If we can look at this miraculous life of this Padre Pio and and say, yes, God is working through this priesthood of the church by giving these certain priests these certain miracles, well that, that's that's pretty convincing argument for Catholicism right there, I would say. Yes,
1: actually it is. We, had um, we at the center, we get a lot of different kind of visitors from all walks of life, and some of them are just simply curiosity seekers. And we had a visiting priest there at one time who um, was approached by what this gentleman referred to himself as an atheist. And the priest just looked at him and he said, if you were an atheist, you wouldn't be here. And that gentleman still comes. <laughs> Did he convert? We're not sure. Um, But a lot of conversions also came from, there's one story, if you'd like me to share it, was a husband and wife, and the wife always, always prayed for the husband to convert. Um, Townspeople of San Giovanni, and she would pray and pray and pray. And here, the husband just simply, he didn't buy into Padre Pio, for whatever reason. Here, she she got extremely sick, and... He, in turn, the doctors gave up on her, had a big family, and he's like, you know, Padre Pio, you know, it's usually my wife that comes here, but now it's me because I'm in need. And even though the wife passed away, the gentleman still converted and became a, and a very good friend of Padre Pio. So, yes, Padre Pio has many, many conversions like assigned to his name, which I think is very cool because that's why Padre Pio is a saint for our time, because mm. right now we need conversions to bring the world back to its knees. We definitely can, and like Nick is saying, the the correlation with Padre Pio and the pandemic, and Padre Pio now, and what we're going through now, you know, in 2020. And we received many phone calls for conversion, for illness, for safety from from uh, you know for family members. So yes, Padre Pio. He kind of, in a sense, never goes out of style.
0: <laughs> well, certainly, and you know, I mean, the story I began this episode with, uh, of this this it, I think miraculous encounter with uh, with with you, Nick, uh, through the intercession, through asking Padre Pio to to ask our Lord to help, encourage me to keep going with this podcast. I tell that story to my to my RCIA group. Uh, these are people who are becoming Catholic. Um, And then, you know, that continues. I mean, so the the ministry of Padre Pio continues today, uh, not only in in the work of the center uh, in a major way, but even in these small little miracles, uh, like my example, that then can encourage this group of a dozen or so people in this room who are becoming Catholic to to grow deeper in love with the church, right?
2: Mm, Absolutely. No, he's... He's incredible. I, you know, when we talk about graces received, favors received, we see everything from, you know, very very small things it's um to very large things, to miraculous healings, but the conversions, I think that's one of the most remarkable things about Padre Pio is just the way that he brought people to Christ. And the simplest thing, people who met him, who saw him pray one mass were changed forever just because of the way that he prayed his mass he was present at Calvary and people could tell and just the just the holiness of this priest just to watch his face during the mass the, the the accounts of it are are incredible but i think i think that's the i think that's what he would say was you know his mission was was to lead souls to christ to point to christ and and those are the that is what i see at the center is people are come they 're drawn people come they 're drawn to Padre Pio, and he leads them closer closer to god
0: I think it's interesting to to think about a number of these miracles, miraculous things that he could do or he was graced with uh by god he you know mentioned the stigmata he didn 't want that to be a public thing to draw attention to himself, you know, so he was given these things to in a sense kind of uh, can confirm that he was graced by God to do incredible things, but he also wanted to hide those things away and not draw attention to himself in in, in that respect so that's such an interesting mark of an of, of a you know we talk with the saints as being people that the church has told us we can emulate and and hold up as an example of how to be a good Christian. Uh, that's a perfect example, I think, in Padre Pio of, of even though he's given all these miraculous abilities, shall we say, he didn't want to necessarily put those on display and make himself the center of attention. He wanted to point back to Jesus every time, right?
1: Correct. Padre Pio was very, very humble. He kept his, his wounds covered at all times. The only time Padre Pio removed his gloves was during the consecration of Mass. Other than that, Padre Pio was um, in his gloves, and he actually did wear socks um, to cover the wounds on his feet. Because, you know, most friars, uh, they don't wear socks in their sandals. But Padre Pio wore socks in his sandals, and he also, like I said, had the gloves on. And it was not just a glove. It was a bandage around the wound and then the gloves on top.
0: (laughs) So, Vera, I understand this miraculousness, these abilities that that God gave Padre Pio had an impact on on your life, and this is part of the genesis of the center. Would you care to unpack this a bit more for us? Because I think it's a pretty interesting story, if I understand.
1: Sure. Um, Mom was given a book on Padre Pio, not knowing that she would ever need Padre Pio, because in America, Padre Pio in the 60s, mid to late 60s, wasn't exactly known. And at that time, she didn't need the book, so like anyone else, she just put it on the shelf and kind of forgot about it until I was born. I am the fifth of six children, um, came along in 1966, and was born with massive urinary um, tract defects, as it was said by, at the time, uh, Dr. Coop at Children's Hospital. And they did what they could to quote, make me comfortable until they had to come along and like two years later, around that time, remove my bladder and the doctors basically said, Take her home, you know, call your funeral director, take her home. She is simply not going to live. And a few months before then, and we actually have some of the letters on display up in the museum at the center, mom took that book Um, and she just, I mean, she exhausted the saints in Philadelphia, because that's where we're originally from, the Philadelphia area, and she just wasn't receiving the answers. She, she, from, well, Miraculous Metal, from St. Rita, from St. John Newman's Jude, everything, and there just wasn't any answers coming to say what to do next. And she sat down with myself, and on her lap, and, um she remembered that book on the shelf and she went and she got it and she just started reading it and something came to her or overcame her. She described it as a locution and this was in the summer of 68 and she just heard an inner voice, come quickly, bring your little girl to me and do not delay. And she went and she explained what happened to my father and he's like, you know, okay, <laughs> you know, what do we do from here? You know, didn't have the money and whatnot. And she was able to get everything in order, including passports. And she, a few weeks, I would say a few weeks after that, Christina was born in July. So she had just given birth to a newborn. And within all of two weeks, we were headed over to Italy. Now about three, four weeks. We were headed over to Italy on a plane. And she didn't know who she was going to see. She just had this... Urgency to be obedient to the calling from a man in a book. That at that time, of course, he was still alive in the summer of 68. And she had many things, beautiful things happen to her, because that's the way you know it's Padre Pio. He makes your journey very difficult, but he holds your hand all along. Absolutely all along, because, of course, she didn't know the language. Five, six weeks prior to that, she had just given birth, and she's got a newt. Her two-and-a-half-year-old with nothing but test tubes and half-alive, limp in her arms as well. She found her way from Rome by train to San Giovanni Rotondo. She made the request to see Padre Pio. Well, of course, her and millions of other people made the request to see Padre Pio. And she was told to be at the monastery at a certain time, wait in the corridor, because at that time, Padre Pio was very old, and he was fully wheelchair-bound at that time. He was pretty much not walking on his own. And she, again, she did what she was told to do. She lined up in the corridor, again with her and many other people, at like four or five o'clock in the morning to be there for his mass, and then to go meet with him in the corridor. And when I say the corridor, it would be the corridor of the old church, because there's now three churches there for Padre And she did, and he was wheeled past in the corridor between the rows of people on either side, and he, he barely stopped in front of my mother, myself, the infant, and my brother. And my mother couldn't understand that. Why would you call me here when you barely said anything to me? So, being a feisty Italian mom, with how can you say, with um, with a mission that she felt she had to get accomplished because she didn't fully understand yet what that mission was. So she made another request to see Padre Pio, and it was granted. Again, the same thing the next day: go to the mass, go back in the corridor, and she felt that you know her anger was enough, her misunderstanding. That she was going to she was going to get it off of her chest, you called me here, I was obedient, and you know now at that point, Christina, the newborn was very sick, dehydrated, it was the dead of summer, water was not plentiful, nor was ice never not at all was air conditioning, and so Christina was dehydrated, I was sick, my mother was actually very sick. Because she couldn't get enough fluid because she was nursing Christina. And at that time, the wheelchair stopped right in front of my mother and myself. And he looked at all of us. And their eyes locked. And not a word passed from her lips. He took his hand and he pushed it up into her face. And she was able to kiss his hand. He blessed myself, Christina, Michael, my mother, and touched us on the head. And that was it. And two days after that, you know, she was on her way back to Rome and to home. And the doctors basically said, of course it was, you know, against medical orders to bring me on an airplane. You're half dead. Why would you do that to your child? And they said, if she's still alive when you get back, bring her in. That's all we can tell you is bring her in. A few weeks after we returned, my mother was watching the news on television, preparing dinner, and she re- and it was on the news that Padre Pio had just died in September. And then immediately she knew why she was called. The urgency of come quickly and do not delay, because Padre Pio. Felt maybe his health getting that bad, or knew God was going to take him home shortly thereafter. A few weeks after that, we made the appointment to go back down to Children's Hospital, and they did x-rays, and they said, Whatever you're doing, keep doing it, because the bladder that we removed, there is a rudimentary bladder there that's keeping her alive. And that promise Mom made with her eyes, if you make a miracle... In Thanksgiving, she would make him known. And in 1969, the early summer of 69, we went back over to thank Padre Pio. And she sat down with the friars that could speak English because she did not know Italian. She says, now, I want to say thank you. What can I do? And it grew in from 1969 at a kitchen table to the campus that we're at now with a few little stops along the way to, you know, continue to get to where we're at now. And this is the work that we're continuing on in Thanksgiving.
0: <laughs> that is an absolutely in- incredible story. I'm almost at a loss for words. Obviously, you survived. <laughs> You're thriving. I mean, what does that, I mean, what do you take away from that? I mean, this is, I, I want to say one thing and then get to that question because, I mean, the fascinating thing for me as a convert to the Catholic faith, especially, is this physical nature of our faith. Like the sacraments are a physical thing, and I came from a tradition as an evangelical where a lot of our worship, a lot of how we understand God, is is this ethereal kind of invisible stuff. Like we don't communion is just a symbol. I mean, we pray, we ask God for forgiveness, just kind of on our own with God in our in our room. But as a Catholic, these things become physical. And I've learned, I've come to understand as a convert that this makes sense. Like God knows we are physical people, and I think gave us a physical church. But also these these physical people these priests so i think of of you guys in that corridor and i think it may sound strange to a non-catholic listener that your mom is kissing the hands of this man but she's not kissing the hands of a mere man this is a man that god has graced with these amazing miracles this is a man who god gave the grace to call her to come to see him right this is not this is not a, a, a man we are talking about here. This is the hands and feet of, of Christ in a very real and tangible way. So when you think of it that way, what does this mean to, to you, who is ultimately the, the recipient of, of of the hands and feet and grace of God through Padre Pio?
1: Well, it means to never give up on Padre Pio. It means to always work very faithful. And my family's devotion it it sometimes it's almost it's hard to understand. It's hard for someone else to grasp our devotion to Padre Pio, our love for Padre Pio. Um, how can I say, Mom never hesitated, and I believe that is when the grace was granted to her, her trust, her trust going across the ocean, never being on a plane, let alone six hours. Nick has taken the train from Rome to San Giovanni on his journeys over to Italy.: <laughs> Now think about it in 1968.
2: I, I, I can't imagine every time I think of it, and you know the one part Vera didn't mention, they had eight suitcases with them because a bladder because a, a child with no bladder needs a lot of diapers, needs a lot of cloth diapers: Gosh, I can't imagine making that journey. Not knowing where you're going. I mean, I had the benefit of Google Maps and and uh, and Flicks app bus reservations, and you know, and everything else. I, I can't imagine what it was like for her. And
1: some people just they can't understand. They can't grasp the family's love and devotion to Padre Pio, and that's what he means to me. I say, as long as there's breath in me, I'll never turn my back on him. And I know my sisters at the center feel the same way. You have your ups and downs. Nick can, Nick can attest to that, but no, you just, there's something there that is so real and so humble about Padre Pio that you can relate to him. Mm. He is a very, very relatable saint because of his fear. His, uh, Padre Pio, one of the things that happened in his life is he used to get beat daily by the devil in his cell. His cell would be his room in san giovanni and he out of fear he would ask the blessed mother he would ask saint michael i was waiting for you why didn't you come sooner now here's someone who was going to end up being a saint who was worried that some that heaven wasn't going to come through for him (laughs) isn't that something all of us experience that's that's the nature the human the humanness of Pio. that's the best way i can describe it nick would you agree with that
2: Oh absolutely. I mean that's what's so so at the same time that you have this man who is exhibiting exhibiting the stigmata the the wounds of Christ and he's bilocating and he's you know all these different spiritual gifts to talk to the people who uh, lived with him every day you know they said he was so much just like another person. I read a quote from one of his friars uh, or earlier today. So what is it like to live him? Weren't you just constantly in awe of his gifts? He said, yeah, I was for two or three days, he said. But then he's just so he's just such a human. He's just such a down to earth, um, you know, person as well that it really he was so humble. Like I said before, he didn't have this great confidence in his in his in himself. He had great confidence in God and none in himself. Um, you know, he gave he gave all the credit to God. So I think, yes, it is very, very – it's very
1: humbling. And Padre Pio, his, gifts, his gift of bilocation, he was at St. Teresa's canonization, yet it's documented that Padre Pio never left the monastery in San Giovanni Rotondo. <laughs> That's probably
2: my favorite document of bilocation. His spiritual children, he was bilocating all the time. And And what's interesting, when you would ask him about his gifts – you know, he would say, well, they're a mystery to me too, you know, and he would, uh, you know, when he was pressed to speak about bilocation, you know, which, which is a good example, uh, he would often not answer directly. But if he was really pressed, you know, about his, you know, his quote, travels, as they called him, you know, he would say something like, um, like he would answer the question, well, what language do you speak? If you bil- like, bilocate to a spiritual child who speaks English, he would say, he would say, oh, Italian. He would always say that. Italian, what, uh, how many miracles do you want the Lord to perform? You know, like by location that have me speaking in different languages. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, so he, um, he he would he would say, you know, somebody would say to him, Oh, I understand you were in Rome at you know, such and such a house as a spiritual child. It would tell me what the house looked like, you know, or something. And oh, you must have noticed the pretty flowers in the garden. And he would say, Huh? Oh, that. No, i, I really I'm 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 able to see the, the, the person. God does not concerned about things like that. So he would acknowledge that these things Happened, But he also acknowledged that it wasn't because he was this super holy special person, it was all
1: God. Again, he, he was so humble. Padre Pio was, he was a Franciscan after Saint Francis, which I think we can agree that Saint Francis was extremely humble.
0: So Padre Pio was eventually obviously canonized as a saint in the church. Can we talk a bit about this process and what ultimately led to his canonization? We talked about kind of the end of his life, and obviously, while he was alive, he was very popular, maybe not in the U.S., as you mentioned, but certainly uh, in, in Europe, at least in his immediate area, certainly he was, he was well-known. What eventually led to his canonization after he passed away?
1: Well, there are steps before canonization. One is servant of God, is the First. Then venerable, then beatified, then canonized. Padre Pio was beatified May second, nineteen ninety nine, and my mother had the privilege of being at the canonization, of reading one of the readings. I believe it was the first reading during his canon. And at that time, Mom had a very good relationship with then John Paul II, Pope John Paul II. Um, She met him many, many times, and she always brought a statue of Padre Pio with her, and he, he, well, everyone knows his connection to Padre Pio and his great love and trust in Padre Pio. Um, Mom's health was going down after she was diagnosed with cancer, so she was not present at his canonization on June 16th of 2002. Um. I would have to say that our center and the other centers around the world, but being that I call us, because, and Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the very, very first original centers in the US, done out of Thanksgiving for a grace received. Mom made a promise. She never said she was gonna involve the whole family, but we were going with it. And um, so her work, like I said, started in 1969. And it involved with also bringing people to Padre Pio, running trips over to Italy and whatnot, and doing talks, basically, I think there was only like three states my mom was not in, doing talks on the grace she received and introducing people to Padre Pio. And as she got to learn more from the friars, mainly Father um, Alessio Parente, he started traveling with her all over the U.S. And Padre Pio grew. His popularity grew. It grew in America. It grew all over the world. Um, And again, she had a good relationship with John Paul, with Pope John Paul II. And she would ask him every time she saw him, when are you going to make him a saint? When are you going to get him beatified? She was a woman who said what was on her mind. (laughs) And Nick's chuckling because he knows the three of us take after her in that way. And... um, and he respected that. I believe that I believe the Holy Father and Mom truly had a very good relationship.
2: Yeah, there were Keith, there were um, clamoring, you know, from very the beginning for his canonization process, you know, to get started. It took so much time because there was so much to review. So the reason that uh, the reason that Vera's mother took up, you know, the cause. People always say, oh, of course it's about money, it's about money. Well, there's money involved because it costs so much money to have, you know, you have to fly people around to investigate things, To There is so much work involved because the Catholic Church wants to make sure it's not something that's taken lightly at all. So somebody who had spiritual children all around the world, like Padre Pio, they had to investigate everything that the man ever wrote that they could get a hold of. All his letters to his spiritual children, all his letters to his uh, his own spiritual Directors. I mean, we have we have. Uh, there's four thick books available of letters of Padre Pio. Uh, most of those consist of letters written to his spiritual directors and to his um, and to his spiritual children. So with that amount of, and of course he had so much popularity so many people knew about him so they had and and you had the um which we didn't really talk about today but you had a two-year period where he was sanctioned you know by the vatican while they investigated everything that was going on a great trial that, that he went through so there was so much that they had to to go through um and to really examine before making that that uh you know, before making that proclamation. But as Vera said, you know, her mom was blessed to be a great part of taking up the cause. Our center was actually changed. The title was changed to from the National Center for Padre Pio to the cause for the canonization of uh, Padre Pio. And that was a great part of the of of, of the center's um, work. But, yeah, there were demands from all around the world, you know, for that for him to be made a saint quickly. But there was a lot of work to do
1: being that we worked very close with the friars as a family, we would go over when Mom was just learning about Padre Pio. um, She would answer a lot of the English mail that was coming over from America with Father Alessio. So with that came many, many graces and that is what was collected to look at and review the virtues of Padre Pio to put forth the idea of his becoming a saint. You know, servant of God and then venerable that there were so many hundreds of volumes. We worked with the vice postulator, Father Gerardo Di Flumery, that they turned every once he sealed it, did the ceremony to get everything down to Rome for review, Rome turned around and said, This is too much. You have to condense this And it was almost like another few years process to try to condense everything that Pedro Pio did for people and get the most I don't I The word popular is not the right word, but maybe the most significant for the Vatican to review. And then after that was done, then that's when everything really went into high gear with the beatification, because that was 1999. And then shortly thereafter was the canonization.
0: I think it's so interesting, Nick, that you talk about how all these things are gathered because the Catholic Church wants to be so sure about what they're doing, right? They're saying this person lived a saintly life. They want to make sure that... That this is a person that we as Catholics can emulate—not not that he lived some kind of double life or that he was trying to trick anybody or receive all this uh, admiration uh, for himself—they want to investigate these things so that they can then say, "Yes, this is the holy person that you, that we as Catholics can 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 emulate."
2: Yep, absolutely, and I think that. Um I think the Church has a great responsibility to do that, and I think that they, they take that responsibility uh, very seriously before someone is uh, approved and declared to be in the, in the canon.
1: People ask me many times, so Vera, is your grace mm-hmm. considered one of the miracles? And I say no, no it is not, because the miracles need to be attributed after the person passes on. And my grace happened, obviously, before Padre Pio passed on.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. So the miracle people often often ask that, and it's always it has to be miracles that are attributed to the person from heaven. Like so, basically, it's a sign that that soul is in heaven, interceding. You know, uh, in, in, interceding with our Lord after their death. So it's kind of like a, a confirmation, if you will.
0: So it's so fascinating that the miraculous things he did during his life are, are great indicators of being graced by God, but don't even really, uh, seal the deal in that sense. No. That's really interesting.
2: <laughs> well, no, because we all can, we all have free will and we could always, uh, you know, before our death, we could, we could decide to turn away from the Lord.
0: So we talked about these, the idea of, of since his death. And I know that for myself, and we've talked about Catholics in general, he, he's a very beloved intercessor, Padre Pio is, and, and often, uh, you know, the, there are a number of miraculous things he's done since his death. What can we say? What What do we know? Uh, and, then, and, and Vera, you are, in one sense, a, a living part of this. But what is the legacy of Padre Pio uh, since his death?
1: I don't think Padre Pio's legacy will ever go away, because he's constantly helping people. And I'll give you an example. I had a phone call today. Um, a woman and I were on the phone for 30 minutes, and she just needed to... To order a few items but she said vera do you mind if i share with you a story and i said sure mary lou no problem and she went into how people she wishes people would open up their eyes especially with what's going on right now in the world because patrick pio is still very much alive and doing very well if people would just open their eyes to it and pray fervently and she gave me the example of a few years back Her daughter had three massive lumps in her breast, and it had already metastasized. And her and her daughter were at church one day on a Sunday. She says, my daughter was never a fallen-away Catholic. She says, and and me, being human, asked myself why. She's always been a good girl. Why did this have to happen to her? You know, now I'm going to lose my daughter. And she just begged Padre Pio and begged him and begged him during mass and she says my daughter and I went home we were watching TV and all at once my daughter says mom do you smell it and she said smell what she said the roses the roses are beautiful and she said two days later she went for her mammogram this was already after a confirmation and the doctor said uh we have to do another mammogram come back in a few days doctor still didn't like the results come back we're doing a third one and she's like why why won't you tell me what's going on did they get bigger did they this and he says i don't know what to tell you he says because those lumps are gone (laughs) and that was a number of years ago and she says, my daughter never went back she said she's fine she says, now i get upset with padre pio why couldn't i smell the roses too (laughs) and i said because mary lou it's not for everybody (laughs) I said you were begging for your daughter out of love and humility. Your grace was received.
2: What, what, what's, what's amazing, Keith, is that these stories are not uncommon. And and um, his presence, um, him being, we have a uh, we have a gentleman that comes to the center. His name is Paul Walsh. And um, on April twenty second, nineteen eighty four. Easter Sunday, he experienced a healing. He was uh, 17 years old. He'd been in a terrible car crash. Um, doctors have doctors had uh, pronounced him, you know, "quote brain dead," persistent vegetative state. Um, He's from Delaware County, which is about an hour south of the the center. And we're still blessed to know uh, he and his mother. But Vera's father went down. They had called the center. Vera's father went down uh, a few times and uh, had taken a glove. Which was worn by Padre Pio, had placed the relic on him, and uh, Paul had a what I don't think could a- anyone would disagree could be called nothing other than a miraculous recovery. Easter Sunday, uh, he reports in the middle of the night, he and his roommate seeing who he thought was his uncle Charlie, but dressed in a brown robe, you know, come into the room uh, and blessed him, and what and what he said to him was, <laughs> I think he said to him. Uh you're you're looking a lot better. And next and the next morning, I'm making a longer story pretty short, but the next morning, um, you know, mom and dad come in and they see him. He's sitting at a table, he's playing a game of cards, he's talking, nobody can believe it. You know, the, the nurses came in. And I was blessed to meet a priest who still comes up to the center. His uh his name is Monsignor Marine who has a big Padre Pio festival at at his parish every year in Pennsylvania. No surprise because he was one of the priests that was called in to administer last rites to Paul. And when Paul's parents showed up at the rectory a few days later, um, he, he expected that they were coming to say, you know, Paul has, has passed away, but they moved out of the way. And there he saw Paul with nothing but a bandage on his head, you know, looking otherwise just fine. And, uh, he, Monsignor Marine, shares the story that he is still friends with one of the nurses at the nursing station there, and they talk about how she saw a Capuchin monk walking around that night. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and when Paul was shown a picture of, you know, he said, well, Uncle Charlie, Uncle Charlie was here, and his mom held up a prayer card that she had been praying with, kind of folded up so you couldn't see the name. Is this who you saw? Yeah, it's Uncle Charlie, right? No. And she folded it down as Padre Pio. And he knew enough. He said, Padre Pio has been dead for you know two, you know almost two decades." So, um, I mean, they are really well documented things that that still happen: bilocation, healings, fragrances, answers to prayer, conversions. It's just it's incredible.
0: Give <laughs> me the chills that story.
1: <laughs> and the gentleman who actually pulled Paul Paul out of the car came just out of curiosity. Came to the center, which was not a center. It was in my mother's house, our family home on Whitehall Road, because this happened back in the mid-80s, and we just started talking about Pedro Pio, and he says, you know, I got to tell you, he says, I I came here kind of like for consolation. He says, I don't know if that kid's dead or alive. He said, there was nothing left of his car, hit a tree, hit a telephone pole. He says, and the best I could do was stop and pull him out, because Paul they kind of had to scrape him off the gutter, okay? That's how bad his skull was crashed, uh, crushed. rather. And um, so we got to know the gentleman, and we're like, yes, yes, he is. He is still alive. You know, my father had gone down to see him. And just today, that gentleman called after how many years of not hearing from him.
2: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he's, really good at, he's really good at giving signal graces. Yeah, I always get surprised at these things, but I shouldn't be anymore. But.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, Bill Bill called today. Out of the blue. I was sh- shocked.
0: <laughs> oh, that's just too much. <laughs> that's incredible. I mean, we could talk about these these stories, I think all day long and it's just so fascinating that I mean, this this is this is one person we're talking about, but what an incredible amount of grace he was given by God and what an incredible legacy that, that grace has has wrought, and and you said it a couple of times now, Vera, and I think this is so poignant. I mean, this is the time we are in a difficult time of this global pandemic, and 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 people are are, are sheltering in place, locked in their houses. I mean, uh, fear is is sweeping across the world, and I think this is. An incredible opportunity, obviously, and I mean, God is in control of, of of the destiny of all of us. I mean, this is an opportunity for us to return to God and 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 to and you know to to, to seek some kind of solace and, and, and answers and comfort. And I think, as you said, this is this is a part of Padre Pio's legacy. This is a this he is a saint for for these times, especially.
1: One of the friars called him. Father Joe called him. He it, now this was back in the early nineties, ninety three or ninety four. He said Padre Pio is a saint for the new millennium.
2: And I think what's amazing, Keith, is you know we hear these stories of great saints, and the reason I think Padre Pio is so powerful, uh, is so meaningful to so many people in our time, is that you can see pictures of him, you can see videos of him. They have a few you know recordings of his voice. He's not this. He's not this. Saint that this great saint that's kind of in a storybook. This is great saint that you can look at footage of him. You can meet people. Um, uh, you you can meet people who met him. You can still meet GIs from World War II who met went to San Giovanni Rotondo, somebody pulled them there, they saw a mass, and they became, I mean, converted and changed forever. They would never be the same because watching Padre Pio say one mass. You know, you can still meet people who knew him. And that's why he's so relevant, I think, to so many people today.
0: I wonder, finally, guys, what would you say is the biggest takeaway? What should we say the life and legacy of Padre Pio leaves with us as Catholics? What should we take, what should we learn from him to carry us forward in our Christian lives? What would you guys say?
1: That he's relatable to everyone, literally to everyone. There's a book on Padre Pio called Jack of All Trades by the monastery, the friars that lived with him. And it's absolutely true. That is a very fitting title, because he's for Catholics, he's for non-Catholics, he's for fallen-away Catholics, Um, he's for, you know, how some saints are just for cancer or just for, you know, mental illness. Padre Pio has, like, every kind of ailment, mental, physical, emotional, they're all graces that have been attributed to him.
2: Yeah, he's a powerful intercessor for so many different types of uh, causes and things. Mm-hmm. My my biggest takeaway from Padre Pio is spirituality wise. So so Padre Pio is like a catechism. You know, we always joke around at the center that like, you know, oh well, we want to do a program. What, what should we do a program on? And it's like, oh my gosh, you, you could take any topic. His spirituality is so, so uh, all encompassing. He's like a virtual catechism. But the thing that was the most important to Padre Pio was the holy sacrifice of the mass. And during the holy sacrifice of the Mass, he was present. He was a living crucifix. Uh, people that could see the crown of thorns on him, it wasn't everyone, but that's when that's when they would see it. His face would become, uh, during the Mass, I mean, he would become transformed. He was present. He looked ethereal. He was suffering. He was in agony. It took him so long to say it. And then after Mass, there was this great joy and this great peace that, that came over him, you know, from from having said the mass and so i think that what padre pio would want us to uh to take away or at least what speaking for myself is how important how real that holy sacrifice of the mass was i mean he i'm gonna mess this up fear might be able to say it, but he was known to have said that the um
1: the, the earth can exist without the sun but not without the holy sacrifice of the mass. Yes. And it's yep. relatable to what we're going through right Nick? Yes. <laughs> Not being able to go to church.
2: So I think in this time when you know the the real presence is so called in into question by so many Catholics. I mean in, here in the United States I forget when they do, you know, they do these surveys, what percentage of Catholics believe in the real presence let alone, you know, what percentage go to to mass but to watch padre pio say mass to hear him talk about it just how important that was that that was everything so i think that's that's a big one and i think one that is really overlooked is the reality of purgatory padre pio said to multiple people he spent more time ministering to purgatorial souls than he did to the tens of thousands of of living souls who came to see him he would yeah. look out of the confessional, he would look out the door, and he would see a line of purgatorial souls going down the mountain, waiting to come up for him to pray for. And his and his confreres could sometimes hear that. There's all kinds of, there's there's a great book, um, uh, Vera, what's the one? Uh, Viva Padre Pio. We have a great yeah. book about that, stories about these, you know, encounters. So, you know, people who tell me they don't believe in purgatory, you know, and but they believe in Padre Pio, I say, well, guess what? Padre Pio sure believed in purgatory. So my, so his devotion to the Holy Souls was huge. So I would say my biggest takeaways from Padre Pio is the Holy Mass, uh, the real presence of the Eucharist, and the and the need to have a strong devotion uh, and to pray for the Holy Souls. And confession. Oh, yeah, he spent, he spent 13 to 18 hours a day in the confessional.
1: We actually, over at the center, we have a confessional from one of the monasteries Padre Pio was in. Um, it's an actual confessional that um, – My mother was a very—a woman that had wisdom, fortitude, and almost, in a sense, can see the future, because this confessional was acquired back in 1987, before Bartow ever came into play, which came into play in the 90s. Um, She knew that one day—again, if it wasn't God leading her and Padre Pio leading her and pushing her— That confessional is now sitting in the replica of Our Lady of Grace Chapel. And you say, what's the takeaway? We wouldn't be where we're at today if it wasn't Padre Pio and God at the helm of our work.
0: Mm-hmm. And a work that's just continuing to, to impact thousands of, of people. <laughs> you, yeah, and again, are? even
1: with what's going on in the world. Nick, are we busy? Oh do we have gosh. people coming there? we with our doors closed to the public.
2: <laughs> I don't know, Keith, if I had mentioned to you, so since we've been, we're going on, I guess it was 30 days today, maybe, uh, since Pennsylvania's been under the uh you know the mandatory quarantines. And um so but I have and I know I can speak for my coworkers too, I have never worked so much or so hard because there are so many people that you know we're still answering the phones. We've stepped up, you know, all the social media outreach and the, and the programming and getting them, you know, our mission is to lead souls to God through Padre Pio and the hunger for him, uh, which is, which is just indicative of a hunger for God. That's what Padre Pio did on earth. And that's what he, that's what he continues to do. But yeah, I mean, especially right now, people are just they're Thank God, you know, they're, they're, they're turning to the Lord and, uh, and they're, they're hungry. They're spiritually hungry.
1: Yes, I feel that if my mother was not divinely led and courageous enough to take on what she did in Thanksgiving, we wouldn't be where we're at now. And the world so needs Padre <laughs> Amen.
0: Amen. Because Guys, this has been—I—I uh, I can't think of an adjective: uh, uh, fantastic, incredible, thrilling. This has just been a, a wonderful conversation to have with the both of you. you. I wonder if you want to uh, let listeners know where they can go to uh, to learn more about the center and the work that uh, you guys are doing. No problem. Um, so our
2: website, of course, is uh, is probably our best resource, and that's just PadrePio.org, PadrePio.org. Uh, people can, can uh, email us anytime. It's info at PadrePio.org. And we take great pride that uh, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 Eastern Standard Time, you will always get a live person on the phone. (laughs) Even right now, we have lines rolling over to people working remotely and observing social distancing. But that's area code uh, in the United States, area code 610-845-3000. A lot of people following us on on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You just got to do a search for National Center for Padre Pio and we'll pop right up.
0: And, of course, uh, when the Lord leads us through all of this, they can come and see you guys in person. What would they find if they came and found you in person uh, there in Pennsylvania? Sure.
2: So we're just about an hour north uh, by car of Philadelphia. We're seated on 106 uh, truly beautiful acres, uh, Pennsylvania Hills. And uh, we have a reproduction uh, chapel of Padre Pio's Friary Chapel of the Our Lady of Grace uh friary chapel there and it's beautiful uh, i say that it is nearly an exact uh replica and that has in there the confessional in which padre pio heard the confessions of women we also have a, a, tr- a truly can you hear me bragging but it's true we have a tr- truly world-class i didn't build it so i'm allowed to break but truly world-class museum uh home to the largest collection of padre pio relics and artifacts in north america um we have a large spirituality center where we can have uh, we can have masses. We have masses on feast days, first Saturdays, um, all the all special occasions, anniversaries in the life of Padre Pio. And uh, we have beautiful outdoor shrines, which fortunately, we're, people are still able to come right now and the outdoors. Nice prayer garden area, um, picnic pavilion area. We have all kinds of groups come from all over the U.S. and Canada. Come on down with their, um, you know, with their prayer groups, with their parishes and uh,
1: make a couple days out of it. Nick, if I just may touch on, um, you mentioned you know the museum with the belongings of Padre Pio. One of the questions asked very frequently, um, especially when I'm up amongst the pilgrims, how did you get such a collection of belongings of Padre Pio? Because they are not replicas. Um, his shirt, his stole from mass, um, his breakfast cereal bowl and whatnot. Again, going back to the history, Um, working with Petri Pio's friars, they entrusted these articles to my mother, to the family, for the people, because she asked them outright, you know, what can we give to the the people at home? Not everyone can come across the ocean. And that's why we do have, you know, they gave her a glove and whatnot. So we do have those articles for the people that cannot always get to Italy. Mm -hmm. And some of them, you know, are on display uh, in the museum. So, because keeping the promise, sharing them with the you know the public.
2: Yeah, we call ourselves the home of Padre Pio in the USA, and, and that's what we really try to be. And we're we're blessed and privileged and proud to be official representatives of uh, of Padre Pio's. Friars and the Friary in San Giovanni
0: Rotondo. Well, I'll tell you what if I were a if I were a betting man, and I'm not particularly, I, I, I would guess that based on what I know of Padre Pio, I, I, I wouldn't say that I'd I'd never visit the center. I think I'm probably more likely to be led down there at some point, knowing how Padre Pio seems to be leading us around like he is. So oh, we'd love to have you. <laughs> I'm sure I'll see you at some point. Listen, guys, this has been an absolute blessing to me to the listeners. Uh, Thank you so much. I want to say God bless the both of you. God bless this fantastic ministry. Uh, I would ask the Padre Pio, pray for us, pray for all of our listeners. Ask the Lord to send those graces we need in this time. Thank you to the both of you for, for being here. Thank you so much.
1: It was my pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thank you so
2: much. God bless you and your ministry, Keith. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Keith. You enjoyed that discussion with Vera and Nick. I think it was a fantastic one, very interesting, very in depth, and I hope you learned something new. But one of my absolute favorite saints, Padre Pio, pray for us. Thecordialcatholic.com is my website where you can find show notes for this show, for my blog articles, and more links and that kind of stuff. I'm at Cordial Catholic on Twitter. The Cordial Catholic on Facebook, and cordialcatholic at gmail.com is our email address. Please do reach out. I love getting your emails. I respond to all of them as soon as I can. I want to know who you are, where you're listening from, and why you're listening. Was this interview, was this episode interesting for you? Did you learn something new? Do you have questions lingering still? I bet you do. Send me an email, please. If you can subscribe to or follow this podcast wherever you find it, and please leave a rating and review if you can too. Those help to push the podcast out to new people and expand the mission of this whole thing. Please do leave ratings and reviews if you can. Those are so, so important. Patreon.com slash Cordial or paypal.me slash Cordial to support this show and thank you in advance for those already supporting this show. Please pray for me. I'm praying for you, especially during these difficult times. And thank you. See you next week and God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You
1: guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.